Ladies and gentlemen, I have seen some entrances to the uh, roundtable before, but none that <laughs> even compares to what we just got from the lovely and talented Jesse Hart. What was that about? Such gracefulness. Yes. <laughs> so I curtsied. You look <laughs> You and Bob like missed you were, it. Bob did Jason extended his hand to me, uh-huh. and so I curtsied yeah, before like I sat down. That's classy. Going in to be made a dame at the court of Windsor. Uh, anyway, uh, we're going to uh, take that for what it's worth and move straight ahead into the ag world in just a second here on the Midday Program. I'll just say this. Joe never curtsies. <laughs> The pressure's on now. <laughs> Joe, yeah, rarely, rarely ever does that. Joe, why is that? Don't I might that. bow occasionally, but you're not going to see me doing that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that was good. That was very good. We wouldn't mind seeing that a little bit more often. I can do it tomorrow. Very good. And Monday. And would you teach Shaylee and Susan? <laughs> <laughs> Via a fard how to do it. <laughs> All right, let's get to it here. It's the Midday Program and Ag Headlines with Jesse. Obviously, when it comes to the agriculture industry right now, most concern and discussions are about trade. And if you're going to go down a step beyond trade, it's NAFTA. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that, what NCBA is doing for the 1213. For 1219, Joe Gangwish is going to be joined with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions to discuss the markets and what are happening at that time. For the newsmaker, Shaylee Peters is joined with Ken Zuckerberg. He is Farm Input Senior Analysis with Rabo Research Food and Agriculture, and they're discussing the latest report that details what they see for fu- the future of precision farming in digital agriculture. For those that you that are very into technology, mm-hmm. I would say stay tuned for More. what they are thinking. And then for the 117. Susan Littlefield is joined with both the U.S. Grains Council and the National Corn Growers Association. They were in Nebraska with a trade delegation from Mexico, and they're going to talk about why they need to continue on NAFTA. So yet again, NAFTA twice. All right. Well, it seems to be the hot topic over there. Are we going to get any yes. baseball in tonight? Well, they're playing in Pennsylvania. Oh, it's Pennsylvania. So, uh, I have not looked at the forecast, but mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah. Nebraska needs these three games. They need to win all three games and then hope that Minnesota drops a game this weekend to Purdue if the Huskers would like to claim their first conference championship in baseball since 2005. Good preview from head coach Darren Erstad coming up in sports. Also, always dreaming is the early favorite for the Preakness. No surprise since the Colt won the first leg of the Triple Crown. Jesse's showing me it looks pretty nice today. It's 85 at Penn State today. Yeah. Light wind, 16 miles per hour. I think we're going to get some baseball. So uh, at least they'll get game one of the series in. Also coming up in sports, will tell you about quite the baseball complex they're putting up in Kearney, oh, just yeah. about through. Uh, $8.8 million for this thing. It was much needed, and uh, that should be quite the jewel on the northeast side of town. Yeah, it will be. Patriot Park, mm-hmm. they call it. It'll be great. All right, we'll look forward to that, and now we'll talk with Bob Brogan about the business. World. Stocks are up a little bit. Uh, jobless claims fall. Lots of folks are focusing in on that. Uh, Walmart has delivered some pretty good first quarter results that they seem to be pleased over, and uh, uh, Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin is uh, testifying today. He says that if we uh, change our tax laws, we can increase our economic growth quite a bit. So those are some of the headlines today. Details on all of this and more coming up today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins is on assignment, and I'm Dirk Christensen in with your Ag Weather Watch presented by Holdridge Irrigation. Chances for rain and some thunderstorms will increase today and tonight as low pressure from the Four Corners tracks onto the plains. Locally heavy rain possible near and south of I-80 in south-central Nebraska and on into north-central Kansas where a flash flood watch is posted through Friday night. Another inch of rain is likely in much of central Nebraska and as much as another inch and a half to two inches of rain is possible over extreme south-central Nebraska and north-central Kansas. Now, as for severity, those severer storms are possible to develop near and south of a front that stretches right across the Nebraska-Kansas border. That puts the slight risk of severe storms over extreme south-central and southeast Nebraska and into extreme north and western Kansas. There is an enhanced risk from Plainville to Concordia to Topeka and stretching into southeast Kansas. Moderate to high risk covers central Kansas south of I-70 through the remainder of the day. Now the rain could linger into Saturday morning as dry weather is then expected to begin to overtake the region by Saturday afternoon and likely stretching through Sunday as the high pressure builds to the south. Smaller chances of rain then do run through the areas by probably Monday into Tuesday. A few minor systems in rapid succession are expected through then, but in the long-term forecast temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas are forecast to be cooler than normal on Tuesday on through the end of the month. The below normal precipitation then expected to kick in for Nebraska by Tuesday also through the end of May and the Kansas precipitation forecast predicts about normal to above normal precipitation for the remainder of the month and that's a pretty good amount of time uh, to be uh, without if that's what your forecast is. The soil temperatures at the 4 inch depth that beginning at 7 o'clock this morning were in the low to middle 50s in the west and central Nebraska areas and also into northwest Kansas. Eastern Nebraska and central and eastern Kansas Soil temperatures were in the upper 50s to low 60s at that 4-inch depth this morning. And the latest drop monitor just above normal dryness is found from Grand Island over to York and from Imperial stretching to Sydney, Nebraska. Now, we also want to draw your attention to... uh, An area of extreme northwest Nebraska in the corner of the Panhandle and those adjacent areas of southeastern Wyoming, northern Colorado expecting a very significant winter event. As a matter of fact, in the mountains of Wyoming and northern Colorado, expecting in some areas two to three feet of some wet snow accumulation. Now, as that moves out on out from the uh, Rockies, significant accumulations are going to be continued possible across the plains there, especially above 8,000 feet, but travel impacts could be high across the plains, and uh, they're looking at the possibility of some power outages due to heavy wet snow. Winter storm warnings, winter weather advisories in effect for a lot of locations above 5,000 foot level. But that uh, the effects of that are likely to make it out into as far as northwest Nebraska. 
Weather factors driving market trade today include the heavy rain targeting the western Midwest and a developing dry trend in China, a slow-moving storm crossing the central and southern plains over the next couple of days could reach the upper Great Lakes by Sunday. Later today, the central and southern plains will be at significant risk for high winds, large hail and isolated tornadoes. Plains severe weather threat persisted on through tomorrow before it continues to shift eastward. Heavy rain, possible storm damage will threaten additional stress for wheat in southern plains areas and heavy rains in the western Midwest will be further delaying planting for probably the next week or so. The eastern Midwest will have more favorable patterns for planting for at least the next couple of days. Across the northern plains, colder weather and even frost will slow germination of the recently planted crop and in northwest China, a very hot pattern there bears watching for possible season-long impact on corn and soybean production there. The heat expected to last through at least the end of this week and deplete moisture from this past weekend. Southern Argentine crops areas will have rain and lower temperatures by the end of the week to slow the pace of row crop harvesting and winter wheat planting. Again, our forecasts as we look at Nebraska for the rest of the day today, expecting the high temperatures to range most likely in the 42 to 54 range west, 60s and 70s east. Rain and thunderstorm continuing tonight. 36 west, 56 east. Tomorrow, rain continues likely, 40s west and 60s east. Again, the winter storm warning for the northwest corner of Nebraska through tomorrow afternoon. And flood warnings continue for the Missouri River at Brownville and Rouleau. It's your ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And for weather anytime, krvn.com. agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Today, U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer formally notified Congress of the Trump administration's plans to modernize the North American Free Trade Agreement with Canada and Mexico. Today's announcement means trilateral negotiations could begin as early as August 16th, and USTR will push goals for the negotiations at least 30 days prior to negotiations. The National Corn Growers Association President Wesley Spurlock urged Lighthizer to remember the interests of U.S. agriculture as they begin modernizing the agreement. The National the National Cattlemen's Beef Association today joined its cattle industry partners in Canada and Mexico in sending a joint letter to the presidents of the nations urging the three leaders not to jeopardize the success that we have all enjoyed as partners of the North American Free Trade Agreement. The groups also urged them to reject efforts to use NAFTA as a platform to recirculate failed policies, especially the misguided mandatory country of origin labeling policy that was the law of the United States for over seven years, according to their letter. And Rabo Research Food and Agriculture has released a report detailing the potential that lies with precision farming and digital agriculture. We get more from Shaley Peters. Just over the past decade, the growth seen in digital agriculture has been enormous with nowhere to go but up. Ken Zuckerberg, Farm Input Senior Analyst with Rabo, says streamlining the process for farmers is where we're headed. So what we see is the need for creation of a sort of a uniform ecosystem and that ecosystem is one that has a digital uh, sort of uh, a data warehouse involved so where farmer data can be compiled, stored, parsed, secured, and then an interaction uh, with a, another data analytics platform so where those that 
can interpret the data can actually deliver value back to the farmer. Today, unfortunately, what we have are a lot of disconnected software tools, disconnected, disparate pieces of equipment that are collecting data, and unfortunately, no easy ability for them to connect and then deliver value back to the grower. For more on this report and research, you can visit RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. What is behind Agriculture Secretary Sunny Purdue's changes at USDA's Rural Development Mission Area? Well, Agriculture Secretary Purdue says eliminating the position of Undersecretary for Rural Development and having the Assistant Secretary report directly Purdue will not diminish the mission or the efforts to fulfill their mission. The mission of rural development has not diminished at all. The people have not diminished. This great distribution of rural development uh, opportunities we have across the country will not be diminished. I, I honestly believe I'm committed to make sure it's enhanced by having that person sitting at my side on a daily basis to help deploy those resources in the best and most opportunity way. In his first hearing as Cabinet Secretary, Purdue testified yesterday for more than three hours before the committee of the House Agriculture Committee on a whole range of topics as lawmakers quiz Purdue on cotton, trade, USDA reorganization, proposed budget cuts, and animal disease outbreaks on down to what the humane treatment standards ought to be for the Tennessee walking horse. And the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture pledged his support yesterday for expanding agricultural trade with Cuba at the House Agriculture Committee hearing. He was questioned by Representative Crawford from Arkansas. That's been a look at agriculture information on the Rolled Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. We're back on the Rural Radio Network, going to visit with Dean Hefta. He's a senior director at Water Street Solutions. We'll kind of take a little bit closer look at these markets, Dean. We joked via email it's not okay to talk about the soybeans today, but that's where the major news is. Still a lot of pressure here at midday. Yeah, the the pressure is not uh, alleviating itself. You know, um, overnight and into the first part of this morning, really, if, if people haven't heard, I mean, the driver is really uh, this uh, collapse in the in the Brazilian currency from the uh, corruption uh, news regarding their current president. And um, he's going to be supposedly having a press conference this afternoon to talk more about that. But basically the economy there is saying the president's going to be gone uh, because of these uh, allegations. And that leaves a vacuum for what kind of economic reforms they're going to be able to have as well as who's going to lead. They've got scheduled uh, elections for 2018. Are they going to be able to pull them forward? So a lot of uncertainty that has dropped the currency and given the farmers that have been waiting for an opportunity to sell uh, parts of their big crop in Brazil a chance to get that some pricing done. So that's just been um, quite a millstone on the soy complex here today. And that was kind of a gift for those Brazilian farmers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. You know, big crop, and, uh, you know, they've been looking for opportunities. So... Uh, you know, but when you move over to the charts, I guess the question right now is, uh, right now it's it's kind of a panic moment right here. Funds are already short. Um, you know, the odds of us going counter-seasonal, uh, typically when you look at history, you know, this week and next are kind of the end of the bearishness in beans when you move into the growing season. So kind of hard to imagine that you're going to start a new leg down going into the growing season. But, you know, when you look at the chart, there's a lot of fear for, for people right now. You mentioned looking at the charts on beans. We tried to hold some support, broke that 950 level. What's the next target we need to hold on to? 
Yeah, I mean, we're right in that zone of, um, you know, where the market needs to hold. And uh, I think the question will be as we move into uh, the end of the week trade tomorrow, um, can we hold that? So July, I want to see hold kind of the continuation lows in that 936 to 940 area. And uh, hopefully we don't get follow-through selling tomorrow. But, you know, it's a big bar and it's, it's a big down right now. So there's a lot of momentum here. Yeah, yeah. Corn seeing the pressure as well. Tried to mount a comeback. Really couldn't hold on there. Any damage on the corn charts? You know, the corn market just for, you know, two months, or you could even say since last fall, has just been continued to consolidate. So you don't get uh, follow-through selling, and you don't get follow-through buying, and that's kind of the same thing here today. We're stuck in this, you know, in July, 365 to 375 zone, and, and nothing has changed there. Wheat is holding um, up generally, but, you know, that's in a big consolidation. Kind of some... As expected, low protein reports coming out of the south, and so you know the question will be: Are we going to have more poor quality wheat in the pipeline as we move into into uh, harvest right now? I guess the best news is still you know cattle are hanging in there. Yeah. It, well, let's uh, talk about the cattle quick. Had a nice turnaround today on the board. Uh, it, it, it looks nice in the last twenty seconds. What are your thoughts looking at this cattle market? Yeah, you know, the uh, the cash trade is off a bit here. Um, if you look at the chart, first part of May, maybe that's a good seasonal high. But we're right in a zone here where uh, this area needs to hold, and maybe we get a little bit of a bounce. And the longer-term charts, you know, the weekly, monthlies, uh, cattle and feeders seem like they have some momentum. So uh, it's hard to write that market off uh, just yet. Dean Hefta with Water Street Solutions. For more, you can go to waterstreet.org. I'm Joe Gangwish. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network. Time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, going into the final three games of the regular season, Nebraska has a shot to win its first Big Ten title in baseball as the Huskers finish up on the road at Penn State. Now Nebraska sets in second place with a 690 winning percentage. Minnesota sets in first place with a 700 percentage. If the Huskers were to sweep Penn State and Minnesota were to drop a game to Purdue, Nebraska would claim the title. Head coach Darren Erstad, however, says the Huskers just have to worry about themselves. All that other stuff is distractions. It doesn't mean anything if we don't go out and, and play well tomorrow. I mean, we're facing as good an arm as there is in the Big Ten right out of the gate, and uh, we're worried about what the scoreboard says or worried about RPI or worried about, you know, whatever's going on. We're in trouble. Today and tomorrow's games with the Nittany Lions will start at 5.30 Central Time. Saturday's game starts at 10. Always Dreaming is the early 4-5 favorite for the Preakness as the Colt tries to take yet another step toward the Triple Crown. The reigning Kentucky Derby winner will break from the number 4 post in the 10-horse field. Classic Empire has drawn the number 5 post and is the 3-1 second choice for the race. The defending NBA champion Cleveland Cavaliers looked pretty good last night. They've stretched their playoff winning streak to 12 in a row as they open up the Eastern Conference Finals with a 117-104 win over Boston. LeBron James scored 38 points and Kevin Love scored 32 points and had 12 rebounds for Cleveland, which led by 22 at half and never looked back. And the city of Kearney will be celebrating the grand opening of Patriot Park next Thursday. The complex cost an estimated $8.8 million and was funded by Kearney voters who approved a 1% restaurant tax to pay for the project a few years back. Scott Hayden, Park and Recreation Director for the city, breaks down the details of the park. Four baseball fields and four softball. 
each of which has a championship field. Championship fields have an inning binding scoreboard, block dugouts, extra seating, press box, sound system, those type of added amenities. We have outdoor batting cages. We have four for baseball and four for softball, but we also have some indoor cages because there was a desire throughout the year, but definitely during the winter months to have some indoor space as well. Uh, we have concession stand and an umpire's room and uh, a maintenance shop. Before that park was built, over 90 youth and softball teams in the city of Kearney were trying to share seven fields for practice and games. That park is located on East 56th Street in Kearney. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Sports, the presentation on KRVN of the Woodhouse Auto family, Woodhouse Ford in Blair, and Woodhouse Lincoln in Omaha. A winter storm warning remains in effect for northwest Nebraska from this afternoon through Friday afternoon, and a flash flood watch remains in effect through Friday evening for parts of central Nebraska. I'm Dave Schroeder. A 41-year-old Aurora man has been accused of child porn manufacture in Custer County. Ross Carson is charged with five counts of visual depiction of sexually explicit conduct. A girl told investigators she'd exchanged messages with a man she knew as Brandon Thompson on Facebook, but to investigators say was Carsonson. The records say he persuaded her to send him sexually explicit photos. Authorities say an 18-year-old driver has been killed in the Knox County collision. It occurred around 3.45 yesterday at a highway intersection south of Wausau. Nebraska State Patrol says Sarah Hubert of Norfolk was westbound on a highway when her vehicle was struck and she was fatally injured. The patrol says she failed to yield as required to a northbound vehicle. The Kansas legislature's top Democrats are proposing that Kansas phase in a $600 million increase in spending on public schools over three years. Senate Minority Leader Anthony Hensley of Topeka and House Minority Leader Jim Ward of Wichita made their proposal public. They also sent a letter to GOP leaders. A House committee has proposed phasing in a $280 million increase in spending over two years. The increase in aid under the Democratic plan after two years would be $400 million. A Senate committee is drafting its own proposal. Kansas spends about $4 billion a year on aid to its 286 school districts. The Kansas Supreme Court ruled in March that education funding is inadequate. The Democrats say they believe their plan would satisfy the court's order. Two Detroit newspapers citing a police spokesman says a body of Soundgarden frontman Chris Cornell was found with a band around his neck. Detroit police spokesman Michael Woody said that he would not confirm that Cornell died with a band around his neck. Woody repeated that police are investigating Cornell's death last night as a possible suicide, but that the investigation continues. The 52-year-old Cornell had just performed with Soundgarden at Detroit's Fox Theater. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin says United States can achieve a goal of 3% economic growth if there are historic changes in taxes and regulation. He tells a Senate committee that 100 people at his department are working on overhauling the tax system, and the Trump administration's goal is to bring meaningful relief to the middle class and make American businesses competitive. 
Get the latest forecasts and live severe weather reporting around the clock on KRVN and KRVN.com. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Farming in the 21st century means farming with technology. The explosion of digital and precision agriculture over the past decade has allowed for farmers and ranchers to grow their operations like never before. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network, and here to visit with me today about this is Ken Zuckerberg, Farm Input Senior Analyst with Rabo Research Food and Ag. And Ken, Rabo just released a report addressing technology in the agricultural industry and where we go from here. Why don't you start by touching on what you're looking at when it comes to the future of agricultural technology? Terrific. Uh, Well, first, it's great to be with you and your listeners today. Um, So as you mentioned, for the past uh, three years, four years, there have been uh, there's been tremendous uh, money that's gone into uh, the digital agricultural space, both uh, new tools and technologies, as well as data and software. And after studying uh, uh, the industry in detail, many barriers to entry, but we believe the largest one is the lack of a uniform digital platform where stakeholders can all connect and communicate with each other. So what we see is uh, the need for uh, creation of a, a sort of a uniform ecosystem. And that ecosystem is one that has uh, uh, a digital uh, sort of uh, a data warehouse involved to where farmer data can be compiled, stored, uh, parsed, secured, um, and then uh, uh, an interaction uh, with a, uh, another data analytics platform to where uh, those that can interpret the data can actually deliver value back to the farmer. Today, unfortunately, what we have are a lot of disconnected uh, software tools, uh, disconnected, disparate uh, 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 pieces of equipment that are collecting data, and unfortunately, no easy ability for them to connect and then deliver value back to the grower. How will this most benefit the farmer? And then also, is this something that you see maybe coming about sooner rather than later, or is this a long ways off yet as companies still are working out kinks and trying to make that flow a little bit easier here? Right, so there's uh, a multi- multiple parts to the answer. I guess first and foremost, we are still very much in the early innings uh, for digital agriculture to add value. And as uh, we just talked about, until the ecosystem is built, this is uh, uh, an area with a lot of promise, but not uh, uh, a lot of uh, uh, actionable uh, deliverables. I think it's in- in- important also to note that uh, each company uh, having gone about uh, uh, building their own system is inherently part of the problem because if one were to try to uh, uh, think about um, having uh, 10 or 12 different operating systems um, trying to create trying to uh, share data share information and and then use that information uh, to to uh, drive decisions Part of the problem is there's no ability to kind of get all the data together into one place to be able to properly analyze it. So what we ultimately see is consolidation uh, in the software world, uh, the farm software world. We see perhaps the need to have a party outside of agriculture, a pure technology company, come in and you know help uh, help create the uh, the blueprint of the future. 
Do you think this will help facilitate farmers in trusting this idea more? Because I know as this idea grows and uh, implementing it on their farm grows, there has been the issue of who owns the data. So we we look at uh, farm data privacy and security as being a reasonable and a very important uh, issue that needs to be overcome before uh, before adoption really takes off. Um, in our uh, sort of blueprint for the future, we think that having a uh, data warehouse and vault, which is secure, safeguarded, and run by an independent, uh, independent third party, we do think that'll uh, provide farmers with a comfort level that their information will be used primarily for their benefit. That being said, um, I don't want to be naive. Consumer data privacy is a much bigger and broader discussion, whether it be uh, uh, consumer companies uh, finding uh, our shopping preferences on the Internet or uh, credit card companies using our reselling our personal information for third-party marketing. Clearly, uh, uh, the privacy issue needs to be addressed, but we believe that having a, a uh, independent uh, uh, data warehouse uh, goes a long way towards uh, uh, satisfying that uh, that goal, at least for uh, at least for the farming community. Absolutely. Anything additionally while I've got you on the line here, Ken? So I I think that the industry has had some good ideas, but execution has unfortunately been weak. Um, we've actually posed a, another thought that perhaps uh, uh, the software companies ought to combine with the analytics companies, thereby giving away the software to help uh, develop the ecosystem and then coming back and, uh, uh, you know, recreating their revenue model based on value-added insight. Um, at the end of the day, we truly believe that, um, that the lack of uh, adoption by farmers is perfectly reasonable because they haven't had much yet to, to pay for. <laughs> so if, uh, you know, we can somehow get uh, the industry using a common set of uh, software products that feed into a common uh, data warehouse that interact elegantly with uh, uh, the analytics providers, we think that uh, digital agriculture then can have a, uh, you know, better chance at uh, success and success being defined as delivering value back to the grower. All right. Thanks for your time today, Ken. Ken Zuckerberg, Farm Input Senior Analyst with Rabo Research Food and Ag. For more information on this, you can visit locally with Rabo Bank in Grand Island or Omaha or go to ruralradio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. Get our closing livestock futures report here on the Roll Radio Network. Joe Gangwish back with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, we managed to hold those gains in cattle today. Yeah, we did. Well, we had some cash trade that uh, I see uh, up to about one thirty-four and a half, uh, sharply lower than last week. But still, when you look at the uh, futures uh, at a discount uh, by more than ten dollars uh, to the June. Uh, you can understand why we got some short covering. It wasn't a great rally uh, for the cattle. It was a little bit better for the feeders, and that was because the uh, grain market's uh, under some pretty good pressure because of Brazil uh, uh, devaluing their currency, uh, which put a sharp, sharply lower, particularly in the beans. But uh, that was uh, helping the uh, the feeders to get some triple-digit gains over there. Over in the hogs, uh, uh, quietly mixed uh, 
cash seemed to be just a little bit, uh, well, let's just call it near unchanged. And the cutouts were near unchanged. So we just kind of drifted in the, in the hogs. Turning back to the cattle, uh, uh, the cutouts uh, unchanged on the uh, choice at noon and uh, a little bit lower on the select. So it didn't provide anything there. Uh, still, the, the uh, box trade uh, a little on the light side. So uh, that kind of thwarted the rally uh, uh, during the end of the day. But the feeders uh, finishing out near their uh, their higher levels. And uh, uh, like I say, most of that, I think, uh, short covering and uh, because of the uh, sharply lower grain. Joe Teal from Great Plains Commodities. If you've got a livestock question, give Joe a call, 800-328-0134. This is the Rural Radio Network. Learning more about our agriculture. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Tom Slight is the president and CEO of the U.S. Grains Council. He said with all the discussion about NAFTA, Bringing folks to Nebraska was a good opportunity to discuss and get a chance to see firsthand where the product is growing. Well, it was always uh, my idea, Susan, that it's almost the perfect state to take a delegation like this to because we wanted to show you know, both sides of this uh, uh, trade equation. You know, we're out at, the, out at the elevator this morning where they load unit trains going into Mexico once a week, things like that. We wanted to be able to see that and the team of Mexicans to appreciate that. They know it, but seeing is believing. So making that connection plus connecting with producers here, having a frank one-on-one discussion about concerns, that was really, really encouraging. And so we're really glad to be here. Plus, you know, the added support with the governor. That's great. It does put kind of a, a face behind the product that is headed there and headed back in a variety of different ways back into the United States. Yeah, you know, age-old uh, adage, people like to do business with people they know. And so, yeah, making those connections, very personal connections. Again, seeing, you know, sitting across the table from each other, the buyer and the producer, very powerful message. And they can see their dedication, you know, the producer's dedication to that trade, the importance of them as customers. The question they've always asked me when I'm down in Mexico is who will advocate for Mexico with, you know, the NAFTA renegotiation very visibly uh, here in Nebraska. And that's what was the most important thing we saw. You and I talked in Panama. I mean, you guys have boots on the ground in Mexico. And earlier in the year, there was some tensions that were building. Has the tensions alleviated a little bit as your staff continues to work with their Mexican partners? Yeah, it kind of goes up and down. They alleviate and then uh, the things kick up again. Uh, most recently of concern to us, just last week, there were delegations going down into South America. Delegations that included some of our long-standing uh, contacts and, and buyers in the feed industry. And so that, that makes us a little nervous. So we're in kind of a, you know, things are calmer now, particularly calmer after you know, we're talking about modernizing NAFTA, renegotiating NAFTA rather than withdrawing NAFTA. That's been an improvement. But, you know, again, things sort of change day to day. Something we watch always. John Doggett, who's Executive Vice President of the National Corn Growers Association, said it was nice to see the dialogue taking place between producers from two countries. I think Nebraska is the perfect place to, to come. I mean, you have not only a lot of corn and a lot of soybeans, you also have a lot of beef. You know, this is a, a diverse state, uh, and a lot of corn from Nebraska goes to Mexico. And, you know, you, you have a, a good railroad system, uh, makes it easier for corn to go to Mexico. So, you know, it's, and you have a, a good organization here that wants to, to participate in this. 
great opportunity for, for them to sit down across the table from other producers and kind of share stories. Absolutely, and I think we've, we've heard some rather honest and blunt talk from the, the Mexican guests uh, this week already, and I, I think it has uh, confirmed some of the things we, we thought were going on, and, you know, there's a few things we're learning. Is there some nervousness from, from their part with NAFTA? Absolutely. They're very, very, very nervous about NAFTA. They're very nervous about the rhetoric because what happens is the rhetoric from the U.S. just makes their politicians get really upset. You know, a Mexican politician can't go ahead and, and appear to be too friendly to the U.S., to U.S. trade interests, and survive politically in Mexico. So, you know, that's, that's what we're looking at. Those comments coming from John Doggett with the National Corn Growers Association. The team, by the way, is spending some time in Washington, D.C. as well. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Good afternoon. Time for our closing grain market analysis today with John Payne. He's a director, of, well, one of the directors at Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago, also the publisher of the newsletter, this week in grains. We're catching you on the road today, John. Uh, with you being on the road, the soybeans decide to go to the downside. Let's talk about that collapse of the real today. Yeah, I am driving down from Chicago to Memphis, Tennessee today, uh, so it's about a seven-hour drive. I've been up about three in the morning, and that was my wake-up call, looking at soybeans down, oh, 15, 16 cents at that point, and just kind of thought this is going to be one of those days, and, and it certainly was. Um, you know, this is certainly one of those things in, in trading and, and in following these markets. Unpredictable type of events like this uh, just have to come uh, on the heels of, of kind of what we're facing here in the U.S. So uh, short term here, I think you're just betting political risk. I think the market's essentially gone risk off. 940 November soybeans really feels like a level here uh, that needs to hold shorter term. But, you know, maybe if that falls, we could see 9 pretty quickly. I don't know. The, I, I'd be careful, though, getting in a short position right now, given that, you know, it's doesn't take much to have this reverse itself and, and right now i think that's probably more likely than not looking at the corn it was lower and we've talked about looking at the chart wise corn could potentially fall apart did we do any damage in the corn being down four to five? A, a little bit but i will say this is more of a bean story you know brazil doesn't have a ton of corn to move right now they they had a their harvest is essentially you know their pollination right now so start harvesting here shortly but they didn't have a great crop last year so they're not really that competitive with the U.S. on the export trade, so that doesn't concern me as much. I think certainly in the long run, the rail is going to be weak. Corn is going to have a hard time to perform, but this is a soybean story more than corn, given that beans have a little more to fall. We're already record short corn. Uh, plus, I, I, you know, making this drive from Chicago down to Memphis, I basically drove down, driven down the center part of the state, close to the Indiana border in a way, and, and it's pretty ugly. There is a lot of empty fields still. Uh, corn that you can tell has been planted has not emerged yet, and you know sweets everywhere. So I, I, I would be a little more bullish here corn. I, I certainly don't te- rule out a test of that, you know three three fifty five three sixty level. But I'm not a buyer. I'm not a seller at those levels. Beans, you know, we could go into the eights here if, if all of a sudden the rail would really fall apart and, and this thing would continue. Whereas corn, I think is a little more supported. All right, John. Last twenty seconds. Uh, the Kansas City wheat today did see some pressure, but came back. Yeah, wheat really has nothing to do with wheat. Brazil's not a big wheat exporter. They don't compete with us. We had that good story yesterday from uh, from the Egyptian tender. So if you're long wheat versus corn or beans, you're probably uh, catching a pretty good boom today. 
John Payne with Daniels Ag Marketing. For more, go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Joe Gangwish here on the Rural Radio Network.